Welcome to season two of Lean Startup Company podcast series. I'm Heather McGough, co-founder of Lean Startup Company, where we share lean startup and modern management techniques to a growing community of entrepreneurs and corporate innovators. We produce webcasts, podcasts, original content, our annual Lean Startup Conference, and offer live and virtual training in the enterprise. Whether you're building a high-growth tech startup, a mobile app, a piece of hardware, working in a nonprofit, or a large bureaucratic organization, adopting Lean Startup methodology can help support continuous innovation and sustainable growth. Today's guest is Tomer Sharon, user experience researcher at Google and author of the upcoming book, Validating Product Ideas Through Lean User Research. Tomer founded and led the Israeli chapter of the User Experience Professionals Association and is a mentor at Google's Launchpad program, a boot camp for early stage startups around the world. Thank you for being with us today, Tomer. Thank you for having me. To get us started, why don't we have you tell me about yourself and what your role is at Google? So I am a user experience researcher. I have been doing that in the past maybe 16 years. And um, at Google, I do a lot of research with our, with our users or potential users, uh, specifically with the, um, the search team. Um, I, I think you've heard about this product. Yeah. So um, for our listeners, tell us, what is a UX researcher? So uh, a UX researcher or UX research is uh, uh, you know big word. It's a discipline that is uh, providing insights into um, into users, their perspectives, and their abilities to use to use products. And we do that uh, with the right people uh, at the right time. That's a okay. key aspect of that. And generally speaking. Uh, user research is helpful in answering three groups of questions. Uh, what do people need? What do people want? Which is very different than what they need. And then uh, once we have something, can they use the thing? And it could be the thing could be a sketch on a piece of paper. It could be a mock in all levels of fidelity. It could be a half-baked product or a released product or somebody else's product. And it doesn't have to be a digital product, by the way. Hmm. So why is UX important to companies and to their customers? Um, I, I'll go back to the first question that I mentioned. What do people need? I think um, a lot of people uh, mistakenly only think that user experience is about design, the, the way things look, the way uh, people interact with products. Uh, I would say that that is true, but that is partially true. So the real importance, in my view, of user experience is uh, coming up with product, innovating with product, with ideas, with features, with services. Again, it doesn't have to be a, a, an app um, that meets human needs, and that's that's really critical. And I think this is uh, when there's a user experience that people say or whoever says that is good one of the primary reasons is that it meets a real user need, a real human need. Hmm. Well, my ex- first experience on the Google campus was um, they, they I, I got a form and I filled it out, um, you know, over email. And 
I got the opportunity to go down to the campus and this nice woman took me into this tiny room and recorded me doing all of these things on my iPhone. I put it under a little camera and I thought, gosh, I wonder how many people are watching me. Were you watching me that day? <laughs> um, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Uh, we do that a lot. Um, yeah, we we do that with um, as many people as possible to learn as many things as we can about those those needs that, that I mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so in my in my if I have to guess, um, probably a few people. It's probably the immediate team that is working on that was working on on the thing that you tested. Well, probably watched it. Let's talk Lean Startup. How did you find Lean Startup, and what inspired you to bring the methodology into your work? So, <laughs> I remember the day, and and probably I can I can go back to the specific time of day <laughs> that it happened. Um, I was invited to speak in a conference in San Francisco. It was a conference called Managing Experience in uh, I can't remember the exact place, but in San Francisco. And um, I think maybe one or two talks before I went on stage, um, a woman you might know, uh, Janice Frazier, uh, came up mm -hmm. and, and gave a talk about uh, being a startup. And she is a, a, a well-known uh, thought leader in, in, in the UX world. And I sat down and was like, oh, man, what is this thing? This is exactly what I'm trying to talk about and these principles are going to be so helpful uh, for my work. So um, I immediately asked to talk with her and we talked for about an hour after. Um, I hope my talk went well because I was so focused on what she said. Um, <laughs> and, um, and from that moment on, I started reading as much as I can. I started talking. I reached out to Eric. I reached out Blank. I reached out to other people and, and interviewed them. I was then uh, doing a series of, of video interviews with people and uh, interviewed them and asked them so many questions about the connection between lean startup and, and user research. Because what I thought, and I said that to all of these people, is that what these, uh, what this approach is calling for is not everything, but a big part of it is overlapping with, with what I and people like me have been preaching for years without anyone listening. And it seems like people start listening to this and, and acting on this. And um, and that made me really happy. And uh, when I thought of how to bring this to work, I decided to, to, start, uh, to start small. And, you know, in my little... Uh, piece of the world at, at, at work, um, I started working lean with my, with my researchers. This is how I came to um, develop something I called lean user research. What is a way for us to do user research in a leaner way and what does that mean? One of the things I'm most excited to hear about is you did some research um, with entrepreneurs um, yep. I'd really like to hear more about that. So uh, at some point, I think it was maybe um, maybe mid-2013, 2014, um, I became curious about 
how entrepreneurs, how startup founders, and how specifically enterprise product managers, how they think of, of user research in, 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 in lean startup. And what I did, I started a series of a series of 200 interviews with, with entrepreneurs from all over the world. And um, in my conversations with them, my main uh, question to them was, what are the questions that you ask yourself about your users or potential users? And I, before, before I started this, I created, I answered uh, the question myself. I listed a few things, a few questions that I thought they should ask themselves. And the, the, surprising, uh, the surprising finding from these interviews was that uh, these entrepreneurs ask the right questions. They know exactly what are the important questions um, that they should ask about users and uh, or potential users. And um, they even know which questions are more important than others. So for example, they know, I touched this question earlier, um, that the question, what do people need or do people need my product is a really, really important question. Um, and, and so on and so forth. But uh, the, well, not so surprising to me, but uh, kind of the sad finding from that was how they answered those questions. And this is another thing I tried to figure out. Okay, you had asked yourself this, these questions. Now, how did you answer them? And, um, and it's, um, you know, going from, uh, from sad to embarrassing, uh, but uh, I think they ask they answer these questions in extremely let's let's be gentle extremely invalid and unreliable ways mm-hmm. um, and uh which made me uh curious about um what they know about lean startups so for example, I asked them at the time there weren't many books about lean startups, so i have I give them a list of books and ask them which of these books did you read? cover to cover, and they answered. And then a few questions after that to, to validate kind of their answer because people in a research situation, they would want you to think that they're good and smart people. So I asked them, what does the term getting out of the building tell you? And um, if they read any of these books, they would know. And some of them, actually a big number of them, didn't even know what I was talking about. So that uh, told me that they didn't really read these books. In any case, uh, during these interviews, I, I felt that um, there must be a responsible adult in the area. Um, this is a huge, huge waste of, of energy, of time, of you know, blood, sweat, and tears that these people will never get back on you know, working on products that nobody needs, bad, really bad products. Um, mm-hmm. And and I told myself, okay, VCs who put money in, in starting two startups, they must they must do something. So I interviewed thirty more. Uh, I did thirty more interviews with VCs, uh, well respected names. And um, I'll be uh, short and not very gentle. Uh, the situation wasn't better. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So they, I know. And I told that to the VCs that I talked with. I know that there are many, many considerations for investing in a company uh, or in a startup. But uh, I, what I wanted to know, you know, 
whether people need the product, whether people want the product, whether the product is good or not, uh, is one of these considerations. And unfortunately, it wasn't. So that made me um, realize that there's a big need for uh, the content that I'm, the, you know, the content of my work, the, the line of work that I'm doing, I and others, and um, and at the same time, there's not a big want. So people need this, but they don't want it. They they really think that the way they work today is 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 good and reasonable. So uh, that led me to to writing uh, to writing my book, uh, which is coming up soon. But um, and and develop and develop other ways of providing this this content. Okay, what's uh, the name? Remind us the name of the book and when you think it'll be out. The name of the book is uh, Validating Product Ideas Through Lean User Research, and the book will be out hopefully by the end of the year. What I did in the book is I I collected all these uh, questions that they told me that they asked themselves, and. Uh, together with some of them, we organized all of these questions, hundreds of questions, by the way, into uh, groups. Uh, so we had eight groups of questions, and I summarized each group into one question. So I had eight big questions, and in the book, each each chapter is um, a question, such question, and the, the chapter itself is um, kind of a how-to guide on how to answer this question with uh, user research techniques that are that are lean, that are fast, that are effective, that are not wasteful, and so on and so forth. Ah, well, our team has a book club, so we'll be sure to put that one on the list. Mm-hmm. I'd I'd like to hear what are some of the principles you apply in creating a good user experience. So, um, well, I'm a Kind of a one-trick pony. So I would say <laughs> the first the first principle is is meeting those human needs. That's a big uh, big principle. A lot of people would probably not expect that because it's not a design principle. Uh, but I think it's it's important, and it's even uh, more important before you start designing or writing code or doing anything related to executing, to building, to actually building your product. So I would say that's one meet user needs. Um, second one I would say is um, minimalism. Um, when people uh, open any kind of or try to use any kind of product, um, in many, many cases, there's hesitation. So I, I can give you I mean, endless examples. I just installed a, a new sprinkler system in my house, and there's a controller for that. Um, and when I say just, it's about a month ago, I still haven't figured out, and it's not that I didn't try. I haven't figured out <laughs> how to program <laughs> that thing. I had so many buttons, so many options that I have no idea, and the sprinklers are going off in the middle of the night. I have no idea what's going on with that. Um, any, any app, any website that gives you several options of things to do next, ways to complete the task because you there's always something that you want to do with it. You always have a goal. Um, these uh, designs are usually very um, overloaded with, with information, data, and, and options. 
And the designs that I saw that are really minimalistic are ones that that pretty much tell you in their own language, they tell you, listen, there's only one there's one epicenter to this screen or to this uh, process that you're going over now. Um, you only have one option. Do this. This is what you need to focus on. And then when you move on to the next, I don't know, screen, page, whatever it is, that's pretty matter step, um, even here, there's only one epicenter in this uh, page or screen, one thing that you need to focus on. I can give an example from um, airlines, online online websites for ordering, uh, you know, booking your flights. Um, there's the normal, not normal, the, the popular way of doing that. Go to any any airline and you'll see that you have so many options and so many steps and, and so many options to pick from. Uh, if you go to uh, Virgin, uh, you, you, you can see exactly what I'm talking about. In mm -hmm. every point in the process, there's only one thing you can do. Now you're selecting a date, and that's the only thing you see on the screen. Now you're selecting a destination. That's the only thing you see on the screen. Uh, you can't, you know, there in their process, in their design, you can't do 10 things at the same time or, or on the same screen. And I think this is um, this is something that is really uh, critical and helpful for people um, when they try to accomplish their goals because um, it's really clear. <laughs> they don't have a lot of options. So I would say yeah. these are two things that are really, really important. Yeah, I see um, other companies doing that too. I think about I just uh, booked a hotel room in New York, and it, it felt like I was on Virgin America's website. Yeah, and yeah. it was easy. It was great. Yeah, more, more and more, so, more and more companies and designers uh, begin to understand that. Yeah. How does your UX approach differ from web to mobile product development? I, I, I don't think I'm going to say something that is, you know, very new or, or revolutional. Um, when you force yourself to go uh, mobile first, you, I mean, it pretty much relates to what, what we just talked about. It forces you to focus on the real important things in the design. And uh, when you start mobile and then switch to, let's say, desktop or tablet uh, on, on to something that has more screen space, you then very carefully, and you begin to understand only then that, yeah, there's not a lot of things that really, really matter. So uh, mobile really helps you focus on the real important things to present or to ask users to interact with. Um, other than that, when it comes to, uh, to my work, to research, um, I always like to say that there's no to me, there's no difference if I'm if I'm studying if I'm doing research for uh, mobile devices, uh, tablets, phones, or uh, desktop products, or even uh, sweatshirts and or shoes. I, the research will be pretty much the same. We will always look at needs. We'll always look at wants. We will always look to see if people can use the thing or not. And if not, what can we do to improve it? So. Um, Mobile does change some of the what's called logistics uh, of research, but um, I think that's not the important thing. The important thing is that um, 
uh, it forces you to focus on the real important things for uh, for your users. Yeah. So this is something you'll demonstrate live at the Lean Startup Conference, but how do you identify user needs? So um, there are um, multiple ways of identifying needs. Uh, probably the best way is to um, physically be there at the user's context or environment and observe what's going on. So, for example, if you have a an idea for a product or service that uh, to solve a problem that you know an idea that does not exist today, uh, you would be interested in observing how people solve that problem today without your product and, and things like that. That is a, a, a really hard task, observing people, understanding what to observe, what's important. A lot of things are happening in front of your eyes. So you need a lot of experience to do that right or to know what you're doing or to get to the right conclusions. Um, a way that, that we uh, found in Google search to, uh, I can't say replace, but complete uh, observations or field work, whatever you choose to call it, um, is again, we, we apply the method that we did not invent. The method is called experience sampling. And uh, experience sampling is pretty much asking people the same question over and over again and getting, uh, collecting their answers. And then you learn from that about what happens in real life in real time. And I'll give you, I'll give you our example. So in our example, in the first, uh, we call it daily information needs study. We wanted to know what people want to know, with or without connection to Google. And we, so we decided to ask them. We asked a bunch of people to install uh, an app on their phones. And this app sent them notifications to participate in the study. And each time, we asked them the same question. We asked them, what did you want to know recently and why? And I think we asked that uh, eight times a day for, for three days. So each person uh, participated 24 times during this, uh, this period um, of, of, of three days. And uh, we collected uh, thousands and even more uh, answers and classified them. So when you, when you collect all of that information, and the key, by the way, the key, before I say uh, what came out of that, um, the key to that is to ask about something that happens a lot, uh, something that repeats a lot. So if you're, gonna, if you're interested, we're talking about airlines. If you're interested in, um, I don't know, the process of boarding a plane, experience sampling is probably not a very good uh, method to use because boarding a plane for most people, it doesn't happen much. So if you ask about that eight times a day, there's no point in that. Um, mm -hmm. Also, it has to be about behavior, not about opinions. Uh, it has to be, so in our example, about something they really wanted to know, not something that, you know, they think. I'll give you an example of, of an opinion. Uh, what do you think about uh, standing in line, um, I don't know, in the grocery store? So... That's a question about opinions. If I'm going to ask that question several times a day or a week or whatever, opinions doesn't, you know, they don't change much. So I'm not going to hear different answers. I want to ask about repeated behavior, and I'm expecting different answers. So what did you want to know recently is a good question. 
another good question. Let's talk about uh, grocery shopping. Uh, it's an example I really like to use. Um, what frustrated you the last time you went grocery shopping? Obviously, <laughs> this question is not a question I'm going to ask eight times a day. Uh, if people do their grocery shopping, I don't know, two, three times a week, then I'll probably ask it once a week for several weeks. Um, so it's really important to focus on repeated behavior and not on opinions or anything that is uh, quantitative. And I'm only talking about this method experience sampling because I heard people say, uh, after they heard me, uh, Google says not to ask uh, quantitative questions. No, it's not Google and it's not me. I'm saying an experience sampling. Mm -hmm. um, uh, quantitative questions are not good because uh, if you're going to ask, for example, um, how many emails did you get in the past hour. So some people would say 0, 1, 3, 17, 100. Uh, that, that doesn't tell you anything about user needs. It gives you a number. These numbers might be important to know, but when you do experience sampling, you want a piece of real life. Somebody call it uh, uh, life mining. Um, so you get a piece of what's happening in their world in real time. And then you classify all of their answers and you understand pretty quickly um, what are the real, the big groups of answers. What, are, what is important for people? And if you have enough uh, data points, you can also go into details of like, um, when people get up in the morning, what do they want to know? And then we found that um, a lot of what people wanted to know, I can't get into too much detail, but we found that what a lot of people wanted to know is pretty mundane. So we said to ourselves, so why, why, why should they even ask if it's so predictable almost? Why should they ask? And obviously, we came up with, with products to, uh, or features to meet that need. Um, so this is really helpful in identifying what people need, and this is um, it's not even a replacement. It's much better than interviewing people. So let's say um, that I interview you and I tell you, or I schedule with you and I tell you, listen, a month from now I'm going to interview you about your or needs about knowing things, you want to, things you want to know. And for a month, pay attention to what you want to know. And then after a month, I'm going to sit down with you for an hour and interview you. I'm not going to get the answers that I'm getting in experience sampling because Again, in research situations, people want to please you. People uh, do some kind of rationalization and tell you what you what they think you want to hear. Uh, they will tell you things to uh, make you think that they're smart people and good and helpful and so on and so forth. When you ask the question eight times a day and you expect them to answer immediately, they don't have time for all of that. They don't do... And I say they, it's all of us, it's human nature. We don't do this processing and we just give you the answer as, as things are. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to know, blah, blah, blah. So they, we don't process that. We don't screen that. Um, so this is why it's really helpful in figuring out uh, what people really need. How do you find your group for user research and user group for product ideas? And for context, can you tell us what the difference is? So um, there's how, so if I understand it correctly, the, the true user group. So when I need to do research, I need, uh, I need to find research participants. 
uh, I need to find people who will participate in research. Um, so uh, to do that, and and, and let's let me uh, clarify the other one. The other user group is you know who are the users of my, my product. This is another big question uh, that people have. So let's differentiate between the two. Who are the users of my product? It's a really, really big and complex question. I think it should be answered. Um, I mean, one way it should be answered is with, with user research uh, to identify these people. Um, in terms of research, uh, partic finding participants for research, I would say this. First, this is probably the biggest bottleneck of research. This is probably the biggest reason why people don't do research. Because either they think it's very hard to find people who to participate in research, or it's actually it's, uh, it, it is hard. Um, so, how do I uh, find participants for research? Well, Google is pretty fancy, and I I mean I know people are curious about Google, and I'm happy to answer, but I don't think it will help people find participants for research. At Google, we have a research participant recruiting team. They find people for us and they have their ways. I don't even know how, how they do that. But I submit a list of characteristics and they bring them to me. Um, so that, um, and I've worked in other places before Google, that is not relevant for almost any other place. Yeah, so, if only we could all have a team like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know, I know. I mean, I was, I was in, for many, many years, I was the researcher who you know, create that list of criteria and, and then go find them. <laughs> so you uh, earned it, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that that this is the case for most uh, for most people for most companies. So I would say the easiest way. I mean, there are companies who will you know take your money to find people for you. That's an option. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if you're, especially if you're a, a, a nimble uh, startup. Uh, they don't really care about you know what people say about them in the media yet. They don't have a lot to lose. Uh, I would say go to social media and ask for help. So first, the first thing you would need to do is come up with a list of criteria. Okay, here are the people I want to participate in research. So let's say my audience, crazy example. My audience, uh, people. One of the criteria is people who speak. Um, English or Swedish, I don't know, whatever. Um, and let's say I'm in the U.S. and it's going to be hard for me to find people who speak Swedish. Uh, for research purposes, I would say my criteria for research is people who speak English. That's going to be easier for me to find. Knowing that I did that, maybe in the future I'll do research with uh, people who speak Swedish. But this is just to show there's uh, a difference between the, the characteristics of your audience for your product and your research participants. So you first need to list the criteria or the characteristics of your research participants. Who do you want to see either in the room or in the, in the grocery store or uh, participating in experience mapping? And then transform the, these criteria into screening questions. So if you're looking for people who post on Facebook more than once a week, uh, you would need to translate that into a question. So don't ask something like, uh, do you post on Facebook uh, more than once a week? Because you know what people would say. I said earlier, people are generally helpful. They want to participate, especially if you pay. They would say, yes, of course. 
and they would screen themselves in, um, you would you would need to hide and mask the, the exact characteristics that you're looking for. So I would say, how often do you post on uh, these websites or these uh, social media? And then uh, kind of confuse them and, and have them not know what you're looking for. Let's say I'm looking for people who use drones. So I would say, um, check the box next to a product that you've used in the past month and then give a long list of crazy products and one of them is drone. So they don't really know what you're looking for. Uh, after that, I would go on social media and look for places where your audience uh, lingers. So if you're, let's go with the drone example. If you're interested in doing research for related to drones, go on Facebook, go on Google Plus, and find these communities, these communities and pages and groups of people who are interested in drones, and then post the screener, the screening questions that you created there, and ask them to to see if they qualify to participate. And that would give you um, that would give you an option to find people for free. Uh, but if you want to pay for that, there are many companies that that will find these participants for you. I could have used you uh, a few years ago. I was part of an early stage accelerator called Founder Institute, and uh -huh. I was looking to speak to people who had considered adopting a child but didn't actually go through with it. Um, finding okay. those people was very difficult. So um, today, if I needed to find them, I would know what to do. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's just me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the only one doing that, but. Uh, I say, you know, some people say on social media is not a good recommendation because not all people use social media, and that's true. If you're looking for, I don't know, how many people are on Facebook, 1.5 billion today. Um, if you're looking for uh, people who are not in these, in this group of 1.5 billion people, fine. Probably social media is not for you, and you need to find other ways. But I bet that most of the people who uh, listen to this podcast or are interested in developing product or come up with startups, most of them, um, for most of them, their audience is definitely uh, on Facebook and other social media, and they can find them there. I mean, even, even for B2B products, if you have an accounting uh, software or service or whatever, accountants are on Facebook. They have their groups for accounting. They talk accounting there. You need to find these groups. You need to join these groups, even if you don't do research. You mm -hmm. learn you learn so much about you know how your audience talks, what what matters to them, um, and also you can then call call them to uh, to to see if they qualify to participate in research. And you, it's much easier to find people that way. Tamir, once you've determined the user need, what is the next step when developing? products, what do you do with all the data you've collected? So um, let's say that we uh, analyze and synthesize all the data and we have a, a clear idea of what user needs are. It's, as I just said that in, in five seconds. It's not that easy and sometimes <laughs> it's not that clear. Sometimes you need to do more than just one research study. 
to get that. But let's assume that you have that. You have, let's say, I don't know, a list of five uh, user needs. I would say the next step is uh, experimenting, uh, building something, and see how people respond to that. It could be, um, you know, in the Lean Startup, we call it an MVP. Um, it could be a product, a prototype. It doesn't have to be. It could be a contract. It could be a WhatsApp group. It could be, I mean, any way that is the minimum way of providing the service to people, putting them in front of it, and having them respond to it um, would work. I, you know, I just had a conversation with someone this morning, and he thought of, you know, switching his business to an online business. And I, I told him, listen, you probably look at products that want to take a lot of your money to, to allow you to do that. And he's like, yeah, this, this company takes that and this company charges that. So I just suggested to him to, um, you know, solve your problem is that you don't know if your audience would go for an online service. So to answer that question, you don't need to invest a lot of money. You just need to provide the service in the most manual way possible through, I don't know, WhatsApp group or something like that and see how people respond to that. When you see this response, you now have a better idea of what to do next. Okay, I see that they do this, they don't do this, they like this and they don't like this. Let's improve that. So that's an iteration process that you're going into. And I would say, um, do these series of, of experiments or whatever you choose to call them. Some people are afraid of the word experiments. Some people don't interpret the word, uh, the term MVP correctly. It doesn't really matter. Put something in front of people's eyes and, uh, and see how they respond to that and see what you can learn from it and improve it and then do it again and again and again. Would you like to expand on or give any more advice on testing with users? Um, yeah, so uh, you, you probably realize by now that questions are something that is really important for me. So a lot of people, when they talk about testing with users or, or research with users, they talk about methodologies. Okay, should we do an interview? Should we do a focus group? Should we do a survey? Uh, should we do this? Should we do that? I always try to sway the discussion to the question. When you want to do, when you come to the realization that you want to do research, the first thing you should do is write down what are the questions that you want answers to by the end of research. Research will be successful if you have answers to those questions in the end. Um, and it doesn't have to be a long list. It could be one question, two questions five, I don't know, seven, but not more, not more than that. And, um, and this will lead you to uh, picking a method, a research method. And I would say uh, that there are probably, you know, I, I don't think I know everything that exists in the world, but I, I would say that there are probably dozens, if not hundreds of, of research methods and tools. Um, it doesn't really matter as long as you're getting an answer. Of course, there are things, I mean, I don't think we have enough time, but there are things or reasons to use uh, specific methods over others. For example, if you're interested in user needs, a survey is probably not a good way. Um, and I mentioned the, the good ways uh, earlier. An observation would be good. Uh, experience sampling would be good. A combination of the two would be perfect. 
Um, if you want to learn about, if you have some kind of design of a design that you want to evaluate, a good way to do that would be uh, usability testing. So it really depends on the question that you're trying to answer, and um, or or a certain problem that you have identified. So for example, if you uh, see uh, analytics data that uh, tells you that people spend a lot of time going back and forth between pages or screens in your product. Um, so for some, um, I don't know, for if I'm New York Times, it's probably good because they're engaged, they read content. But if they're trying to, you know, I don't know, buy a book or something like that, it's probably not good. So that's probably something that you should pay attention to and and um, and uh, and solve. But looking at analytics will only give you the answer to the question: what is happening, not why. So I would say um, go and do a usability test or. Uh, some kind of a test to identify um, if there are problems in your navigation or or information organizational structure in your in your product. Um, analytics can give you an idea about that, and these other types of research interviews and usability testing can help you uh, figure out why. Yeah. Well, we have just a little bit of time left. So I'd like to know, how do you maintain a lean startup process when working in a large organization? So I am well uh, aware and familiar with organizations that, you know, one day decided or declared that they're working uh, lean and they adopt the methodology, and that's great. That's great for them. Um, my assumption is that most organizations are not like that. And uh, it would start uh, bottom up with people interested in that and trying to work like that in their small teams. Um, personally speaking, I think um, the latter has a you know better chance of, of succeeding because then you can, you're not forced to do that. You do that because people want to. And um, and people are really engaged in that, and they want to prove that this is working. Uh, so I would say, um, you know, from my perspective, I might be wrong, and I'm not, you know, I don't have the uh, oversight to, uh, you know, testify about experience with many large organizations. But uh, from my perspective, um, start very small, gain small successes, share them, uh, you know. Creating a shared uh, understanding about the process is really, really important, and um, make people, uh, you know, envy, uh, envy your success with this, and, and want to do that or more of that uh, on their own. Um, I think names are really not what's important. I don't care if you know what we call how we work, as long as mm -hmm. we do that. So. In terms of research, you know, in my in, in in my with my team, I don't you know use the word lean and I don't declare that this is what I'm doing and 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 all kinds of, of of you know terminology around that. Although there's definitely the terminology to use, 
I just say, okay, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to work. Um, it's going to work this way. These are the steps we're going to make. Um, and that's, that's how we do it. Um, for example, um, when I, you know, for certain types of studies, I, I say in advance to my team, I don't need to say that anymore because they know me by now, but um, there's not going to be, uh, there's not going to be a report. You, you have to participate in research. You have to observe. You have to sometimes interview yourself. Uh, if you want me to do research in another country, that's fine. You have to come with me. Um, I'm, I'm, it's not, it's not my research. It's yours as much as it is mine. So you need to be involved. To me, that's lean because that's, um, I mean, one aspect of it is that it's um, reducing waste. So let's go with this example. If I would have gone, and that happened to me before, would have gone to a different country, do the research, come back, write a report, only to find out that I and my manager are the only people who read the report, uh, that's a waste. Mm -hmm. uh, if people come with me, if they take ownership of what's going on in this research, if they understand that this research is theirs because they came up with the questions that we'll have answers to by the end of research, if they were a part of you know, deciding who we're going to recruit to participate in that, if they are interviewing, if they are taking notes, if they are helping with the analysis, it's theirs. It's not mine. And it's saving a lot of time. It, it has so... Uh, so much more benefits compared to to the other way of doing things. And again, I don't. If, if that's successful, I share that with other teams. I don't call it whatever whatever you should call it. It's just this is the way we do things. Great advice. Well, Tomer, thank you so much for your time today, for giving us an inside look into your work, and we look forward to seeing you at the conference this November. Thank you very much, Heather. It was fun. Thank you to today's guest, Google's Tomer Sharon. I'm Heather McGough from Lean Startup Company. Our team looks forward to having you join us for upcoming podcasts and webcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Lean Startup, register for our flagship Lean Startup Conference, or follow our blog. Visit leanstartup.co for more information.